Tony didn't have that in his in his in his body. Didn't? Not really. He <laughs> That's awesome. Came up I with like that. you know batshit crazy ideas sometimes, and 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 sometimes they did uh, you know amazingly well, and sometimes they did, they. Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is C.K. Lin. Noble Warrior is where I interview entrepreneurs about their journey from the first mountain of success and achievement to the second mountain of impact and legacy. So then you can navigate your own journey from the first mountain to the second mountain. If you have any friends who are on this journey and would like more inspiration to take that leap of faith, go ahead and share this episode with them. They'll thank you for it. Before I introduce this week's guest, I want to tell you a quick story. So there I was sitting at the Delivering Happiness bus at the 2010 TED conference, and Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos, was pouring me shots. I thought I had made it. I was hanging out with the Zappos guy. And fast forward 10 years, when I first heard the story that we had lost Tony in the late 2020, I felt a deeper sense of loss. I only had a few personal interactions with him. By no means we were friends, but unbeknownst to me, I saw him as a fellow Asian noble warrior who was actively pushing the envelopes of culture and business norms. I had grown to admire and respect him. Jen Lim and Tony Shea were at the forefront of a movement that's making purpose cool in business. They were co-founders of Delivering Happiness, a company that helps other companies create happier company cultures for a more profitable and sustainable approach to business. Tony was also her soulmate. They've been close friends for decades. So this conversation was more personal and reminiscing of Tony. But don't forget, this is also a conversation with a thought leader in this space. Jen Lim is the CEO and co-founder of Delivering Happiness. She's the author of a new book, Beyond Happiness, How Authentic Leaders Prioritize Purpose and People for Growth and Impact. So if you are a business leader who values your employees as assets, not expenses, and you want tactical ways to operationalize your value for more purpose and profit, this is a conversation you don't want to miss. In this conversation, we talked about how she lost her co-founder and soulmate, Tony, and how he changed the book Beyond Happiness five weeks before the book was due. We talked about why alignment sessions amongst stakeholders is the best tool for businesses to immediately inject more purpose, impact, profit in these uncertain times. We talked about the core quality that makes Tony Shea a business and cultural innovator. We talked about the mental model she figured out after helping 400 businesses integrate people, purpose, and profit. And the case study for how Starbucks got even stronger during and after COVID. The 24-hour resilience test, how to quickly determine how bulletproof you actually are. The two meta frameworks to uncover your deepest core values with movies and high-low moments. And how to influence a skeptical CFO about purpose and value. And finally, the key life lessons you learn about happiness, purpose, and resilience from losing Tony Shea and her dad. And lastly, I'll say this. Beyond Happiness offers 
inspiring stories from Jen, case studies from 400 businesses, practical mental models to implement these big ideas. If you value people and want practical frameworks to bring more purpose, people, and profit in these volatile times, go out and buy Beyond Happiness. Without further ado, please welcome Jen Lim. I want to start by this short passage from your book and leading to how we met. And we read this. This trip was one of the most grueling yet spiritual experience I've ever had. In the days before our hike, we had to acclimate. So we walk around this little town in the neighborhoods we visited with families living in huts made of mud and straw, generously offering the little they had in the form of tea or a biscuit. Even though they didn't have much material wealth, they seemed to have an intrinsic happiness. Crow's feet, wrinkles, etched happiness in the corner of their eyes. Not the pseudo smiles people often put on the work on the street, the ones we had sadly become accustomed to. For me, those moments of human connection brought back a sense of what happiness and humanity could mean. Those people had no idea who we were or why we were there, but they made us feel welcome and gave us a sense of belonging. The reason I read that particular paragraph is this. And years ago, when we first met at TED, when the Delivering Happiness bus was in front of that hotel, you and Tony made me feel welcome. Mm -hmm. I was a newcomer. I had no idea what's going on. And you had a whole posse, you know, following, traveling with you guys. And then without any kind of hesitation, you just, hey, join us. And then went into your bath, party with you guys a little bit. And it was a, it's still something that I remember. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to remind you in case um, you probably forgotten already, you know, those little gestures that those little things I still remember today, 10 years later. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I, I didn't forget that one, actually. <laughs> I remember meeting you, uh, even though there was just so many things and memories along the way of this. And yeah, I mean, um, I think that, re I mean, thank you for reading that passage too, because it's also very different hearing it from your voice instead of mine. <laughs> and then you capping it with the story from what you just shared. And there's something about that that to me is really it resonates with me wholly because one of the things I've learned is that you just never know when you're going to impact a life and you could be having like the crappiest, shittiest day. But when you show a gesture or you could be uncomfortable or whatever and all the things that we go through as human beings, there's been so many examples of when someone comes up to me randomly, like I don't even remember how I met them and they, and I remember, you know, our experience, but like, for example, Tony and I, we had a talk uh, in Alameda on, uh, on a ship uh, at the Navy base. And we both felt very uncomfortable. It just didn't feel right. It felt a little too self-helpy, if you know what I mean. Like it was just too forced. And we both had this feeling, oh, well, that was kind of a waste of time. <laughs> you know, like that kind of sucked. Um, but fast forward years later, 
uh, we were in Nanan Curry in San Francisco, like one of the places that we just like late night eating and you know, like buffet stuff. This guy comes up to us and he's like, hey, are you, you know, Tony and Jen and yada, yada, yada. And like, yeah, it's like, you know, I was on that ship and I know I'll never forget that because you shared a message that still resonates. Like it's with me still today. And just from him sharing that, it made me reflect on my, I was too presumptuous that mm. that whole time was a waste because we weren't feeling comfortable, mm. but it wasn't a waste because we were still trying to share a message and who knew we would randomly bump into him at nine and Curry at, you know, one in the morning and him saying, thank you for sharing that. Mm. Um, so in the similar vein of what you just shared, we just never really know when we act and, and live with a strong sense of purpose and our values and people remember that. Mm. I want to talk about the book a little bit. You have written this really beautiful book and you're an amazing writer. The book oh. is filled with, was heartwarming, was poetic, was personal and immersely practical for any leaders desiring for more purpose and passion and profit into the organizations. It's, it's, it's got it all. So I, I really felt the potency of who you are and the love, the, the care that you have for this book. So I just really want to acknowledge you for, for, <laughs> for the, the work you must, you must have like stripped layers and layers of construct in order to pour into this little you know, creator, this creation that you had. Well, thank you for sharing that. Because it was definitely, I even say in the book, like it was harder than Kilimanjaro. <laughs> like it took everything out of me. Uh, and especially with Tony's passing, but I appreciate you saying that. Like it really was my hope. Um, you know, I, it's kind of having that as we all do as creators and entrepreneurs or et cetera, like, after it came out or, you know, it's, it's still yet officially to come out, but I still have anxieties about it. I'm like, wait, what, what, what did I do? And um, I think it was because it was such an intense time. And I felt like there was a certain side of me that was coming out, which was, was pretty serious because there was a lot of serious matters happening in the world and with Tony and um, I, I look back and think like maybe I could have been a little bit more light, you know, like, but I, I mean, I, I couldn't at that time, but anyway, I appreciate you saying that um, the fact that it's practical and not just conceptual. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully in some ways I, I was trying to put seeds of uh, spirituality in there too. Oh, it's definitely palpable, but, but even for those who are not into spirituality or any sort of the, the more subtler realms, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's palpable, just the sincerity and earnestness and really the, the love that you pour into this words, it's, it's palpable. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to share one thing, um, how you, Tony Shea, business partner, soulmate, I just really appreciate how you navigate this personal business loss in such a public way with so much grace and dignity. Cause I've heard, uh, you know, some podcasters interview you, they didn't quite exercise the sensitivity. They just, you know, very casually say that, but 
Mm. It's it must be really difficult. So I'm curious to know. Well, for another acknowledgement is I really salute you for the courage and openness to do this work at this point in your life in such a public way. It's not easy, I'm sure. Is that right? Yeah,、um, it it hasn't been easy, and I, you know, I I always hesitate to share because you know I I feel like I've lived and, and live a lucky life. And I'm also trying to own up to me being honest and transparent when things have not been easy. And I would say, it, and it's still ongoing. Like just this last weekend, we were shooting a, a MVP of a documentary for Tony because of we want a small group of friends just want to capture the story that we believe、um, from honest perspectives. So that's still raw to me, and I didn't realize it. And you know, it's also life is beautiful in Vegas, and I just had a whole another wave of emotions, and I'm, you know, transparently still recovering from that.、Mm-hmm. Um, but、uh, knowing that you know the physical Tony not being here is different from his presence、uh, mm-hmm. not being here, and, and so yeah, I mean, to answer your question,、uh, it was really the hardest. Things I've done. I mean, I've gone through loss. I lost my dad when he was too young. It was 18 years ago, colon cancer, and that's what really actually drove me to the work of looking into myself, looking into purpose, looking into the values. Like, how do we actually do that? And and then of course Zappos, you know, like how to do it at a company level, but also most importantly within ourselves. So I definitely went through the ringer on. Stretching my own sense of、um, groundedness and stability and、uh, resistance that comes up when we're, you know, working from a mid cortex versus like you know primal cortex versus prefrontal. Like that was. Can you put some context around it, just in case? I mean,、oh, I know、yeah. what it is, but others may、yes, not. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I yeah, I assumed you did, because、yeah. I know we've had a lot of deep conversations over the years.、Um, so the primal mid cortex is what's responsible for us to fall in those states,、uh, because we, as human beings, want to stay alive. So whether it's you know we, we've heard so much about the flight, fright, or freeze. I would add to that、um, call for help,、um, and this essentially when we're an animal that just wants to stay alive, we react behaviorally because that's what's ingrained in us, you know, physiologically for so 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 many years. And now we know more that the prefrontal cortex is like if we can actually separate those emotions and reactiveness. That prefrontal cortex is what we rely on for that sense of、um, analysis and being able to come from a place that is bringing in logic and in a way that it's not just reactive to that immediate、um, emotion. And of course, we're not, you know, walking around the streets scared of being eaten by some huge. 
animal anymore these days, but we all are operating on that same system in many ways. So what I think like why this is part, part of like the uh, an amazing time to be alive is that we can separate those things. And, um, you know, like, you know, I, like I mentioned earlier, maybe our ancestors worked because they were focused on those physiological needs of staying alive. But because we have that luxury and because we have that space and because we can understand these different elements, then we can be more intentional about how we go through these um, experiences in our life. So it really, it tested me to the core of, it made me question actually, because I, I had to be honest to myself. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing this for 10, 11 years. Do these things still hold up with all the things that we saw? And everyone I'm sure on this podcast went through their own sense of loss, grief, and it comes in many forms. You know, it's not mm -hmm. just losing someone you love. It's a loss of like, you know, what's going on with climate change. Uh, it's going on with like the senses of like relationships being lost or changed that really pushed us to a different level with COVID. So I had to, um, you know, as they say, uh, eat my own dog food or as you can see in my background, drink my own champagne. <laughs> there you go. I yeah. Like that. yeah. So I had to put myself through the ringer of like, this is this all true still my beliefs yeah. in scientific happiness. And, and by going through that process, I came out with this book of yes. And so essentially, yes. And there's more. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful, I mean, I truly, I don't normally just promote anyone's book, but truly this is a gem of a book. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's very human. It's very compassionate. It's very warm. It's very loving. And, uh, and, and for people that just care about profit, Hey, it's prof profitable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, it's a win, 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 win for everyone. So let's yeah, switch. Thank you. Yeah. Switch gear for a bit. Tony Shea was one of the iconic figures of our business culture today, mm -hmm. right? In, in our time and, and you and him embrace this idea of weirdness and help other business people bring happiness into the workplace you know, inspire individuals to do the right thing. Both of you play a huge role in changing the business conversations, the narratives about purpose and value. Basically, in short, you make purpose and value cool, <laughs> relevant <laughs> for business, right? So that's a huge feat. So I'm curious to know, um, I guess, What's a can, maybe for the people who may still kind of who are not on that train yet? Mm. Paint us a movie, if you would. What's it like to be a to live a purpose driven life, to run a purpose driven business, to mm. to to lead a movement about purpose? I know you you can talk about the numbers, but all of that aside, just what's the experience? of doing that and being at the, at the, at being the leader, a thought leader in that space. Mm -hmm. I would say that, um, I mean, that, that question itself, there's so many layers to it and feel free to know. unpack however you want to unpack. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. I, I think that what it was, you know, when we first launched delivering happiness in 2010, 
was a novel idea. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Zappos, yada, yada, yada. And, and they didn't think that, uh, that they would say, like, that would never happen here. That's not my company. That's not how I'm going to run it. But it's cool. Someone's doing it. And then I think from that point forward, and unbeknownst, we would you know, co-found a company around it. I felt I, I wanted to prove, prove people wrong to say that, no, it's not just Zappos. This is actually a human thing that we're talking about. Like these things that are like was buzzwords now that weren't then, you know, purpose and values, as you say, is cool. <laughs> Culture wasn't even around as a word. And then now we have things like belonging, you know, and diversity and inclusion and all that. But I think the, the concepts are fundamentally the same. They keep evolving over time. And just to keep it as current as we can is what I really try to highlight and exemplify in the book. So to your question, what I think is now how someone feels like they could be living accordingly to that. I mean, you've heard, uh, I'm sure like audience members have heard about the whole great awakening, great resignation, you know, great reset, great blah, 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 X, Y, Z, whatever you want to put in there. And or the that means... Or the great apocalypse, yes. <laughs> yes. I've, I've had some people who watch Fox News quite closely. So, yes, <laughs> apocalypse is coming. It's good to have different perspectives in life. That's right. That's right. Uh, and so that to me, I mean, just the whole data point of like 4 million people in April alone. And I, I think it has been like growing since then. But quitting their jobs without necessarily knowing where they're going to go next. And we're in the middle of a global recession. That to me meant a lot because that we've never seen that before uh, in our lifetime, at least. So by having this time, I think we've all had an ability to ask these questions of what am I doing? Why am I waking up in the morning and doing this in the course of my day? And, you know, Steve Jobs was famously known for saying like his own way of saying, if I wake up in the morning and say, am I going to like, do I really want to do this? You know, basically, do I say hell yes to this or not? And if not, then it's not worth doing. And in some similar ways, you know, that's a, a Tony belief. That's a, a, a my belief. And I think that is, you know, Tony used to talk about just like he used to hit a snooze button on his own company. Like he didn't want to go to work anymore at Link Exchange. Right, I think that's, right. that's applying to any, everyone, whether you're working at DoorDash or Uber or, you know, building your own company. Are we wanting to wake up in and feel like no matter what day kind of day we have, knowing there's going to be crappy days, like, let's be real. Like, that's why it's beyond happy. It's just like, let's not fool ourselves. Like there's the highs and the lows in, um, right. in the life doesn't, of day. Life doesn't just come all blissfulness all day. It's, yeah. it's, it's both. It's the polarity yeah. of life. That's the, the reality of life. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. And understanding and accepting that and reconciling that in a healthy way based on, again, the, the, the prefrontal cortex of like being able to understand it. But the biggest thing is like to be living in this purposeful way is to actually be able to say, no matter what happens for the next 24 hours, if you want to use it as a metric, I'm so grounded 
And no matter what blindsides me, whether it's my own health or someone else's health that I love or my company that suddenly had a huge hit because we all of a sudden had a new competitor. And so we got like blindsided, you know, all these things that we cannot control. But the biggest thing about uh, and the biggest belief is that once we have that groundedness of our purpose and values for ourselves, defined for ourselves and understanding that, then it doesn't really matter as much, you know, what else is swirling in the world of things that we cannot control. So, yeah, I, I hate to use, you know, death as a way to inspire people because it seems morbid, but it is something that's really impacted my life to inspire all that we do of like the irony of happiness is understanding of not necessarily working for your resume it's working for your eulogy what right. do you want to remember for hmm yeah i love that metaphor that you that you put in as a, as a proper tool right are you working for your resume are you I guess not working for, are you, are you living a legacy, so to speak, right? I really love that metaphor that you have. So if mm -hmm. you don't mind going a little bit deeper, you know, going, perhaps describe it, right? If we're watching Jen Lim or other business leaders living their purpose-driven life, running purpose-driven business, being a mm -hmm. thought leader, leading others to inject more purpose and authenticity in their personal and business life, right? If we're watching this, as a movie, what else will we see and hear and mm. experience? Um, if it was a movie, I mean, I so something another. Uh, it's an age old con concept. And I bring it up in uh, in the book and the the hero's journey uh, by like Joseph Campbell is the one that created that and, and wrote about it. But essentially, that the hero's journey. If you think about any any movie, like what what's a movie that you love? Let's just say that I love. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love The Matrix. Okay, so it's, it's a documentary. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, nice. Was a documentary in you? Huh? Uh, maybe. Yeah, actually, in my mind, in my in my mind, I'm, I'm Neo. <laughs> yes, I can travel, traverse the Matrix and reality. Yes. Uh, so random fun fact i was actually an extra in matrix two and three when what uh, yeah it was i was laid off at the time so i had extra time on my hands that's awesome oh man yeah, it was an what a story that's like you can just introduce yourself in any ted talk opening like yeah, <laughs> i was i was in matrix two and three <laughs> It was the internal rave scene in the center of the earth. Um, oh, but, that's awesome. Yes, yeah, yes. That's crazy. I remember that. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I could be having a whole separate podcast on that story in itself. But, uh, but yeah, so like every movie, every epic movie has this hero's journey and there are certain characters involved. So it's like the hero, which is obviously you. Right. And then there are the people that are the guides, the Yodas, uh, the mentors. And then there are those that are trying to defeat you. Um, you know, all the other sunglass you know, in, in black people in the Matrix, as an example. <laughs> and so what's a bit curious about this is that we are all living in our hero's journey. And we just we don't just have one. 
we have several of them. Because I think every stage of our life we've had, like when we went through high school and then through college, and then we started our first job, and then we started our first company, you know, whatever that is, every time we make these kind of crazy decisions to do something big for ourselves, that's this whole, if you can imagine like a clock, this time of you wake up in, you know, uh, when you, when, when you as Neo woke up that morning and seemed like a normal day, but little did you know, the rest of your life was going to change mm. and going through those experiences when you make different choices that are against the grain of what you would normally do or of what society wants you to do. That's when that hero's journey actually tests you to the greatest amount. And that's when you actually meeting, like start meeting, um, you know, your allies in the world. And you also, also start meeting those that want to like, well, basically your haters <laughs> that want to bring you down. And by the end of it, um, you're not necessarily the world has changed around you, but your world has changed and mm. you'll never go back again. So there's something that I think I love that fact that you're asking about using movies as a metaphor, because I think the question is, whoever's listening, like, what's your favorite movie and why is it so meaningful? Why was it epic? It, what happened to that protagonist who helped him or her along the way? who tried to bring him down or her down. And it's actually really fun and interesting to see those parallels in your own life, because I believe we all have our own epic hero's journeys, like multiple ones, if we choose to go that way, go that route. Mm. So one thing I didn't say is I just, I didn't recognize the impact Tony Shea had on me until he passed and mm. I, I felt like wow there's deep sense of loss because i obviously didn't know him personally as you have we met a couple of times you know and that's about it you know he's really nice to me but that's about it right what i realized was that i just didn't see that many asian americans being thought mm. leaders who are cultural or yeah, cultural innovators per se. So I was like, oh, wow, this is really beautiful. So in many ways, Tony was my Yoda without officially being my Yoda, so to speak. It's just mm -hmm. in my realm of awareness. And now you're being a Yoda, a guide, a Sherpa for those who are um, traversing their business to be more purpose and value driven with all the tools, all of the experience, all of the wisdom that you accumulated over the last 11 years. Do you see that as an apt comparison? <laughs> um, I guess I see there's, you know, there's validity to what you're saying. It's always been interesting to me that, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you don't remember, but back in the day uh, when he wrote Delivering Happiness, he called, like he said, you know, acknowledgement to Jen. Thank you for, you know, being my backup brain. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never thought of, I didn't know he thought of me that way, but apparently he did because he didn't need more brain. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> if you want a backup, I guess, <laughs> I guess that's an honor. Um, but I think that, you know, over the years, uh, it's, me, it, Tony casts a big 
footprint, image, and shadow. And I've been in that background of wanting to support and just like not really wanting to put myself out there and, and honestly fearing failure, even though I talk about not feeling fa fearing failure. Um, I had that too, because those are big shoes, <laughs> uh, not to make his apples reference, but like, it, those are big shoes to fill. <laughs> so nice. I didn't catch that until I mentioned it. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's hard oh, not to, gosh. um, uh, so that's where I was comfortable, you know, not taking on my own hero's journey, essentially, for so many years. And in the last few years, and this is even before Tony passed, I realized that, well, I actually, you know, ran this company. And Tony's very hands off, like he's a leader by letting people do his do their thing, you know, and it, it wasn't until a few years ago that I looked back and I was like, I actually did this, <laughs> you know, and, and that's when I became more aware that um, I had all these stories, all these years of experience of working with these different companies and, and hospitals and governments around the world in a way like, I have a perspective Four, on this. 400, right? Yeah. Based yeah. On your website. I mean, that's yeah. it amazing accomplishment thank you uh yeah. it's uh it's you know it's a trip to look back and reflect on but mm. to your question it it took me some time to digest and internalize that i actually you know do have <laughs> like even though we were you know back of brains for each other in some ways or we were just so connected like we didn't even have many times conversations we just kind of looked at each other and just like you know like understood um i realized through that process it's partially of me owning what is what i've learned along the way and being able to express that and now you know inadvertently because i i signed the book contract early 2020 before tony passed before i thought anything was going to happen that um, you know, that was a moment I was like, wow, this is happening. Uh, and then who knew that he was going to pass, but basically it's becoming a bigger message to me of, you know, everything I've learned along the way. And obviously the homage and respect to the legacy that Tony has forever important imparted to the world and carrying that on but um but doing it in a way that is being true to my my way itself mm. i want to follow with that question but i'll put a pin on it for a moment sure. one of your you had said somewhere along the line of one of your i guess hack or the biggest the, the thing that you're most proud of is your your own embracing of your own weirdness and the, mm -hmm. the one thing that I love is th these little editorial comments that you make <laughs> throughout the book during your presentation. It would just make them like offline, you then you move on. It just like it makes me smile because <laughs> like the shoe comment you just made, like that's so random. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do that? Like, because I think I think the core message, if I understand your book correctly, beyond happiness is embracing 
you know, authenticity essentially. Right. And how do you, how do you do that? Because mm -hmm. I want to, I want to be, you know, hilarious like Jen, right. And just make these random off the hit you know, comments like Tony Shay, like, but you know, I'm, I'm not that. So I'm curious now, how did you exercise mm. this funny muscle that you have? <laughs> That's pretty funny that you think, I mean, I would love to be a comedian in a different life, but <laughs> that is also a very hard life too. But um, thank you for uh, saying that. I think, <laughs> I think that like, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, you knew Tony, you met Tony, I knew Tony. Um, and then like, just what just happened right here, right now is like, welcome to my brain. Like, that's how my brain works. And, and I feel comfortable being able to share that with you. Mm. And I think that that has a huge part of doing like doing that because I feel comfortable with you so I can let my brain go and mm. I don't have to feel so shielded and guarded or like trying to construct my words. I can feel and hear and, and think all at the same time and be present. And I think that's a big part of it um, that we, so, I mean, we hear, you know, everyone's like, you got to be present in life and all that. There's something else about, even we're in Zoom land right now, you're here with me. I'm here with you. We also know this is a podcast, but being just in tune and flow with each other, I think that's where, you know, true, like, well, comedy happens and also tragedy and, and darkness too. But uh, I love that aspect of being able to communicate in that way, because then you're picking up on things that I'm not even seeing and vice versa. And that's, I think that's like the beauty and depth of, of what human beings can be for each other. Yeah. And I want to go a little deeper there because it's, it's for me it's beyond humor yes there's you know joy and fun in it we can enjoy any moments mm -hmm. but even as entrepreneurs you know give us the permission to be free to think to be wacky to be just ridiculous i think that's so important especially for innovators because if you're so boxed in we're so tight about oh life is this way i have to be this way our identity needs to be this then there's no room to really innovate, right? I think you had mm -hmm. mentioned one thing that you really treasure with Tony is just the boundless thinking that he has. And then mm -hmm. I think you mentioned in the book, yes, a lot of them is pretty wacky. It doesn't make sense, like playing with the hot iron doing a party <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Like who in the right mind would do that? <laughs> right, right. But but it's also the ability to just think so broadly, boundless, that allow him to, you know, be the cultural innovator that he was. Mm. Can you comment on that? Yeah, I think that I mean, uh, I mean, based on like what you're prompting here, especially for entrepreneurs, especially for people that like we need to adapt and be more creative than ever. Bottom line. Um this world is never going to be the same. And I'm not, and I can for the first time say that without thinking or feeling that I'm being without, that I'm exaggerating. Like we're never going to go back to those days. And so therefore having that level of creativity and being and choosing to surround ourselves with people that understand that, that there's free thinking 
And of course, there's boundaries that we have to express ourselves about in terms of our own personal boundaries. But there's something about being in that space without judgment, judgment of others, you know, no matter what wacky idea they come up with, or judgment of ourselves. Because I think that's when we hold ourselves back because like, oh, this is going to sound insane. <laughs> Tony didn't have that in his in his in his body. Didn't? Not really. He <laughs> that's awesome. Came up I with like that. you know bad shit, crazy ideas sometimes, and 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 sometimes they did uh, you know amazingly well, and sometimes they they you know everyone's just like mm, I'm not sure about that one, but I think that is what I really appreciated about what I gained from our relationship and being around that sort of energy that it wasn't even just about business, you know, it was about being human. And, um, you know, there was a lot of passions and interest in, in psychology and, and how relationship work, relationships work. And therefore, of course, like how it leads and, and, and infuses our businesses and, and how to run uh, companies in a more humanistic way. But I think, the more we surround ourselves with that kind of thinking um, and also let ourselves be that and, and, you know, not fear being ridiculed, then if you are, if you fear that you're probably around the wrong people. Mm. Um, and that's a choice that we have, even mm. though sometimes it's hard, but yeah, you know, I, even in the last, I don't know your experience in the last 18 months, I've had, you know, co-founders break up, so to speak, right? Uh, relationships in general break up, so to speak. And it was the true test of who they were, are, and what they want. Like in this specific time and place, are we aligned or are we not? And if we're not, let's not waste time. <laughs> you know, let's, let's do what we really want. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's super challenging and can get ugly, but at least we're operating from a place that's being true to our, our ourselves. Mm. Yeah, the core message, right, of, of your book, Beyond Happiness, being true to ourselves. And, and to me, it's certainly not a, oh, I checked the box, done. Now I'm true to myself forever and ever. Like to me, it's just an ongoing process it, it for me takes a whole lifetime to really own my weird self the essence of who i am like truly who i am mm -hmm. so do you have any specific exercise i can share with us to really get to the core of who we are uh yeah there's a few i mean i mean i thought um i mean the the example that you shared earlier about the hero's journey is something that's i think it's a good start of you know, imagining yourself in your own epic mm -hmm. saga and series, you know, like mm -hmm. whatever it might be. I think uh, another big one, and this is going to, because this is going to sound, I mean, this stuff that we're talking about is basically a, it's been around for, you know, mm -hmm thousands of years you know whether it's like confucian or aristotle or like you know what what means to be happy and whole and what it means to live a meaningful life mm -hmm. so one of the things i tried to do in the book is to bring it and make it more current and one, one of the exercises i have is called um the happiness heartbeats exercise and mm -hmm. 
essentially it's acknowledging that we have our highs and lows and this is just going through your own life your own journey um all the way back from the beginning and i actually strongly suggest it uh to not just be at the workplace but in your general life i think that mm -hmm. you know we we believe in work-life integration at least mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what are your highest highs just three three of your highest highs three of your lowest lows and basically map that out name them and then start asking the questions and just doing the you know click down and, and understanding why are those my highs why are they my lows what values were there what values was i not living uh, what people were there what people were against like what i thought was the right thing to do and just by asking those very few simple questions you start to see themes of what truly is most important to you mm. and when we think about happiness it's usually all about the highs but when you actually dig deeper and dive deeper into those lows then i think the core of who we really are comes through what's the most you know pain or uh grief or you know uh sense of abandonment you know within ourselves that comes out mm. so for me that's been one of the most simple ways to get to at least a more accurate picture of who we are truly inside yeah guys simple doesn't mean easy simple and profound right mm -hmm. so if you really treat it with you know, uh, sincerity and earnestness, it, it yields, it will yield um, profound insights into your own life and what you're about. And then if you do this a couple more rounds, you may even reveal even more layers of who you are that you'd forgotten about or you didn't even know you wanted. Totally. Um, that I've done this with, uh, with people across all levels of the company. And sometimes when uh, you know, see CEOs hire us in, they think they want to check off the box of culture, but then mm -hmm. they start doing an exercise. They do something like this and they're like, holy shit, that was about me. And they realize that, that this is not a function of checking something off for a quarter and it'll be done. This is the function of the journey that we all live, like this lifelong quest of understanding what this is about and how to be real with it. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the biggest breakthrough moments of especially the naysayers, you know, like mm -hmm. um, not no, nothing in CFOs, but usually CFOs are like, we don't want to <laughs> do this. Like, oh, why would we spend money on this? Like uh, rainbows and unicorns, it doesn't make sense. Right. But once they see what purpose actually means and how it shifts the whole conversation and therefore how people show up to work, to the customer, et cetera, then I love those moments when like there was a CFO in a, in New York uh, retail store. He turned around and he was the biggest naysayer. And he just said, Hey, thank you. Uh, I feel like I'm a, I can be a better, better man. Mm. And that was like huge coming from a New Yorker dude. That was just mm. like gruff and just like all about the money, mm. but you could see it in his eyes that he meant what he felt. It was sincere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a testimonial right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. So how did you get him to do this exercise with sincerity? Because, you know, 
he, uh, you know, let's use him as a as a as an example. He could mm-hmm. have either opt out, I'm too good for this, or just do a very lazy job of it. How did you actually have him sincerely motivated participate in really doing the work? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was in this specific example, there was another leader in the executive team that was the cheerleader, essentially like gung ho about like, this is what it's about. Like we've been making money for decades now and we still want to grow. We still want to do these things, but this is what we're here for. And of course, like not everyone's going to believe him. Like the CFO didn't believe him, but he believed it enough to say, okay, I'm willing to try. And so that's when it opened up the door because that's when the CFO started seeing the results of how employees showed up and they were more engaged. Um, Their whole thing was about, you don't have to say happy, right? It's whatever term you want to use for them. It was about thriving. Mm. They saw employees like, Oh, wow. They, they like leadership cares about whether or not I thrive. That sounds cool. I want to be a part of this. And so I think that was a turning point for the CFO just saying, Oh, this is how it works. And actually giving him a sense of these are my assets. These are not my expenses. And if I grow them, then they'll actually help grow the business too. Yeah. It's a multiplier impact, Mm -hmm. right? Because the way I would metaphorically speaking is culture is the personality of the organization. And if you can, enhance the individual contributors and then it ripples out right using your ripples of of impact exactly. analogy mm-hmm. right it ripples out so it's, it's a multiplier upon multiplier so it actually has exponential impact if you do this right if everyone is aligned in the right direction everyone is it's it's behind the 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 cultural values then the benefits of an organization is a win 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 across the board for everyone so mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, I think that's a, a big learning I've seen in not just talking about it that way, because there's, you know, the zero sum game mentality has been in business for so long, capitalistically for so long for different reasons. But now there is a different way to look at it as a positive sum game. And I think that's the game we need to play to, if we want to survive in the future of work, which is happening now. So tactically speaking, right? So you had mentioned in your book, passion, what is it? Purpose, passion, and profit as a framework to kind of think about this. And you propose that, hey, let's do all of them to have um, work-life integration, just everything synergistic. But rarely in a business situation where you, um, it's either all or nothing. It's usually shades of gray. Hey, we we really need to, let's say COVID happened, boom, our business is at risk. Then we have to focus on profit or revenue. And then do we just discard, you know, a passion and purpose, right? So Mm -hmm. so in these nuanced cases, um, it makes it, difficult for business leaders to embrace the operation of the these ideas. So I'm curious mm-hmm. to know if you have any framework to really help them think about, you know, how to allocate the resources, maybe, 
you know, percentage here, 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 or 30, 30, 30, or some kind of a framework to help them think about this. Because otherwise, the pitfall, I used to be chief cultural officer in another startup. The, the pitfall mm -hmm. of this is sales always gets primary uh, attention and culture mm. takes the back seat, right? So mm -hmm. is there a framework that you have to help people think about this a little bit more holistically? Yeah, of course. And I just wanted to kind of update. Uh, I think that the word passion was more used in delivering happiness, the book. And for mm -hmm. me, I I went from, I replaced it with people. So people, purpose, and then profits as a given. Otherwise, oh, thank you. For um, that. yeah, of course. And it's a slight nuance, but I think that um, some people kind of like mm, shy away from that word passion. But in terms of the framework, uh, so I'll like I'll share how I see it from a conceptual level, and then I'll I'll share an example um, of how they did it their own way. So how I see it is like uh, strategy is what you think you know, as a company, um, brand is what you say, an external expression of of your company, and then culture is what you do on a day to day basis, and cultures, especially what you do when the boss isn't looking. So having those three things in place of they need to be coexisting of your strategy, your brand and culture, and they need to be aligned. Mm. So my biggest thing about that is that COVID gave us one of the biggest tests of whether that can be true, because we had to make very immediate decisions. Like there was literal life and death and there was like life and death uh, companies. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to point back to uh, the experience I had at Starbucks because, you know, the, here's a ubiquitous brand, global, 450 something thousand, they call partners, but employees. And, you know, hugely retail oriented. So of course they were uh, hemorrhaging money because like, they had to close all the stores down. Mm -hmm. um, and so in that moment, it, their stock, I mean, they've been steadily growing even after um, Howard Schultz left and the new leadership came in. But that was a true moment of who are you and what are you made of? So are you going to focus on the fact that your revenues are and your stock price is just like totally plummeting? Or are you going to focus on what is your what was previously known as a very mission-driven company because starbucks was one of the first out there to say hey whether you're part-time or full-time we'll pay you know for your health benefits and that was like leading edge at the time mm. they've you know shifted from that in some ways but they were known for that but what i thought was most interesting in being able to have the experience of seeing what they chose to prioritize in the end, it was, of course, there's the triage stuff that needs to happen. Like we have to get the team on this. Otherwise, there will be no, no company to continue for the next 50 years. At the same time, the leadership team, and you, you can imagine, especially with a, as big of a company as this, there's a lot of personalities. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of history um, in all this. And what I saw was a pretty amazing thing. Like they chose to put that all aside and say, we're doing this for what's most important. 
what's most important. It's our people. It's living up to the, the you know, our mission statement on the wall. It's like one cup, one person, one neighborhood at a time. And in the most you know, probably stressful time that they've ever had, um, they were able to align on that. So what I'm trying to convey in that example is like if this huge BMS could do this in a way that they walked the talk, they said, we have these words of our mission statement on the wall for a reason. We need to fix the business immediately. And they did practical ways to do it. They worked closely with their uh, partners in China because you know, COVID started there first. And so therefore we can learn a lot from them, et cetera. They also said, we wanna live uh, according to our purpose and our mission. And so out of that, they had not just the short-term triage, but the long-term view. And they rolled out and announced these big programs, which were not just profit positive, is people positive and planet positive. Um, basically mm. made um, measurable sort of goals to say, mm. this is how we're going to operate differently in this current state of how uh, of, of the world and basically the future of work. So, so I have a nuanced qu follow-up question and I will we'll complete, right? Um, the way I think about it, COVID is like a forcing function, right? Um, to really force us to exercise whatever resolve, whatever strength, whatever courage you have. And as you said, as, as a test. But rather than waiting until life throws us a, a significant test, you know, to, to force us to lift 2,000 pounds all of a sudden, the, mm -hmm. the goal is to train ourselves in the gym with proper, you know, movement techniques, the dojo, whatever you call it, so that already whenever life throws us a real test per se. Mm -hmm. So I'm, so I'm guessing, cause I don't know the Starbucks folks, but I'm assuming it wasn't nothing, 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 boom, a moment of decision, let's choose purpose, right? They probably have had serious, rigorous training, right? Quote unquote throughout so that at a time of need they can be resolute towards their purpose so if you don't mind can you share with us maybe a little bit of the 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 structural of the organization the critical mass of people who believe in the vision and then what are their sort of their their gyms their drills so then they're constantly thinking about their purpose one cup you know people and so forth rather than letting the the default priority which is profit take over Hmm. I would have to say, I mean, if we're going to stick with the Starbucks example, I think that it actually took the pandemic for them to revisit and re-internalize what those wall, uh, what the words on the wall meant. So they had a strong sense, like people that work at Starbucks are proud to be a part of this organization mm -hmm. from the baristas all the way up. Mm -hmm. So I think um, that's that was like already embedded in their culture, but I think they're you know from what I had experienced and seen, it depended on who they were, what location, etc., as to what if they felt like super strongly that we were like super aligned with that, or wavering in terms of engagement, in terms of productivity, in terms of are we living our mission, and it took the pandemic for 
the leadership team to actually acknowledge that. And that's what I think the biggest, um, yeah, you know, kudos to them was that they weren't afraid of bad, you know, unfortunate data, you know, like in the past, it's just like, well, we'll fix this and we'll fix that. We, as long as we're doing well, you know, profit driven and, and we're being profitable. But I think that pandemic actually created a better muscle for them to re, I guess, you know, re-exercise or reinvigorate for all of them because it just brought these super honest conversations. And this is what I would totally recommend because um, I know you want to be practical about this. I would have one of the most uh, impactful things that we've seen happen and we do with clients is like having that alignment session. Starbucks did it during a pandemic after a hit. I think it's never too late to have an alignment session with who are your key players in the room. And it doesn't have to all be, you know, uh, C-level execs. It could be who are the people that are really truly living up to the brand, culture, etc. And seeing the results of whether or not and how people are aligned and not aligned, then it becomes a clearer sense of practical ways of uh, exercising that muscle. Wait, wait, back up one. You lost me. So identify your the way I articulated uh, cultural mm -hmm. champions, right? People who mm -hmm. really embody the culture. Have them be in a room and then do what again? So, and I would just say not, not only culture, because I, I do think that if we're talking about on in like a, a leadership level is what I mean. So, so it's not just culture, it's brand, it's strategy. Mm -hmm. It's you know, your key players in the company itself. Mm -hmm. So just to um, kind of massage that and then have an alignment session. And so for us, the alignment session is like, we go from top of what is your purpose? What are your values? Why are you here? Why did you join in the first place? How do you interpret these values? Are we living them by behaviors, through our behaviors? Is that being um, people, are people being accountable for them? Are we measuring them? Are we incentivizing them? You know, or are we rewarding and recognizing and saying hiring and firing basically? If you're not living up to these, you know, our brand or our culture, our values, that you know, that starts the conversation from a different level versus just are we aligned with our business goals? And mm -hmm. of course, the business goals come in, but by having that alignment session from coming from a more you know higher meta point of view of culture, and I know you're well versed in what it means to have culture and what it what it means when you have that sort of, sort of alignment, then being able to connect that culture aspect, that brand aspect into the immediate goals, the immediate strategy and how we execute becomes so much more clear because it becomes a more multifaceted conversation versus we have to do, do, do without thinking about the fact that you might lose a lot of people um, because you can't retain them. They're, they're tired of, you know, doing just because it's supposed to be the right thing to do. So I think the alignment session creates a bigger sense of we're in this together mm. and shit's like it, like times are tough. It's mm. going to get worse and, but it'll get better. Mm. Do you want to stick it through and do you mm. want it to do it together? And a lot of times people just say, no, 
And I think it's actually better and healthier self-selection of, okay, then, you know, good luck to you, but we don't need people that are, you know, on the fence mm. to, to get this, uh, get, get us to the next uh, stage of where we want to go. Mm. Beautiful. One last question, Jen, and an acknowledgement. Yeah. Then um, last question would be, well, one thing that you had in the book is turn YOLO to loyal, right? YOLO stands for you <laughs> only live once. Uh, loyal is live out your living legacy. What do you think is your legacy mm. that you're living right now? I... Uh... And I, uh, I, I try to capture, I would love to hear yours too. I mean, I, I know uh, we're running low on time, but I would love to hear yours as well. But for me, my legacy was driven from my purpose that I clearly had a better sense of after my dad passed away, after I got laid off from the dot-com, uh, after 9-11, and then going to Kilimanjaro and, and that story that you shared earlier, and just meeting people that were just so real. From that point forward, I wanted to be that, but I still was like trying to figure out my purpose. Mm. But since then, I've learned a lot. And for me, I... I just hope that um, the work that I'm doing is as raw and open and honest as I can as I'm trying to learn myself and have this growth mindset that we are all, in, like I'm the first to say I'm the most imperfect being and I wanna learn more and I can learn from you. CK, like I can learn from your audience. I can learn from anyone that wants, has something to teach or is willing to. And so my legacy, I think, is making sure everyone that I love knows that, not being, not shying away from just saying I love you, even though I don't know if they love me, <laughs> but basically having the courage to say I care and I, yeah, I want the best for you no matter what. Um, and hopefully being able to teach what I've learned along the way, uh, as I learned from others like yourself as well. Mm. Beautifully said. You wanted to know what mine is? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. I love the concept that you and Tony both coined the, the word greenhouse. Mm. It's it's very similar to that, right? I wanted to be able to walk into a place and then then really encourage people to believe what's possible within them such that they can build their own greenhouses, right? I want to be that greenhouse architect. Mm. And that people can start to believe in themselves and go on their path, right? As I shared earlier, the first from the first mountain to the second mountain, right? To live the life that's truly who they are, authentic, joyous and also provide for the material world, whatever it is that their dreams are, you know, to be that kind of architect to help people traverse on the first mountain to the second mountain. So that would be really the reason why I'm doing Noble Warrior. Mm. Beautiful. Well, hopefully I, uh, as we continue on to our next hero's journey, we can I can be of support to you in, in what you're doing there. So that's a big part of what I 
want to how I want to live my purpose and legacy as well. Well, you don't need to hope that you're making a difference <laughs> because I, as I shared with you earlier, that anyone discerning would be able to feel your love and your care from the words that you share in this book. You had said in the very last, you said, if I could choose a superpower, you'd be the ability to sit down with everyone in the world until they know I see the light in them. I would help share the light and impact with everyone else in the world by meaningfully connecting everyone's great greenhouses. That's my purpose in life. It may evolve, but I'll keep tending it until the day I die, right? So I definitely feel that in this conversation, Jen, I so appreciate you, you know, being this beacon of light and warmth and love and sharing businesses, how to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Adding more uh, purpose and, and, and value, but really underneath that is, is, is inspiration and love and connection. So I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> so thank you for being the person that you are and being that beacon of light for everyone. Mm, thank you, CK. It goes both ways. <laughs> I feel that from you too. <laughs>